Hello, I'm Phil Svitek, 360 Creative Coach, and welcome to my vlog, where it's both my mission and my pleasure to highlight my creative journey, to give you inspiration, specific takeaways, all that way your journey can be at least a little bit easier. Now, this past week was quite busy in a number of ways. Now, the stuff I was busy with wasn't the primary objective, as we might call it, but it was various events uh, and activities, and they gave me a lot of perspective. They gave me new tactics of how to move forward on these various projects. So even though progress wasn't directly made, I can move forward on some of that stuff. And, you know, every now and then, it's always good to have a reflective week, if if you will, um, and really just kind of get outside your bubble and whatnot, right? And to kind of kick things off, I wanted to talk about a James Cameron quote. So James Cameron, the director of Avatar, you know, Avatar was re-released and... I had a chance to see it, and it it held up in terms of its visuals. The story, um, y- you know, even though I was prepared for it to be cheesy, um, I it did kind of catch me a little bit by surprise again. But all that at the same time, now having made movies, I am in awe of like from a technical aspect what they were truly able to achieve. And you know, hats off to him either way because. You know, he did it, and certainly it's a box office success, so I can't argue against that aspect of it, right? And the interesting part is, in spite of being James Cameron, he, when he was making the movie, still had to argue and push back against his studio and his executives, even though he'd done... In the the Terminator, Terminator 2, and then Titanic, right? Titanic was this monster hit of a movie. And yet he's still getting studio notes that he has to contend with. And his pushback was essentially, like, the crux of the argument was that Avatar was too long and they wanted him to cut certain scenes. One in particular was the them like Jake Sully learning to fly um, and that sort of montage sequence and, um, you know, stuff like that, as I understand it. And he pushed back against that. He said, essentially, like, you know, this lot was basically built off of the money that Titanic made you, so I get to do this. I'm paraphrasing, but that's essentially what it is. And all in all, you know, that sequence right, was one of the stronger sequences in the entire movie, not just for me, but for a lot of people. What makes the movie so strong is not its story. It's the visuals and those types of moments where you get to really take in Pandora, right? Because he did build a beautiful, beautiful world. It's absolutely gorgeous. And that's the stuff that from the way James Cameron talks about it was what they were going to essentially take away from the movie. 
And it's good to know that, you know, even someone on, on, on such a level still has to essentially battle with suits to, you know, get his vision out there, right? And a quote that I really love from him is, I feel that my job is to protect their investment, often against their own judgment. But as long as I protect their investment, all is forgiven. I think that's fair, right? And I really like this quote because for me, you know, there are certain things I get very protective of when it comes to, you know, the stuff that I make. There's various people that don't quite understand it in the moment of like what I'm trying to achieve. Now, that doesn't mean that I'm not amenable to notes. In fact, I would argue that I'm very collaborative and I take all kinds of input. So long as it is in service of what I'm trying to accomplish and, you know, there's things that if people don't understand, it just takes away like literally the point of of what I'm trying to do. You know, uh, like this is a ridiculous point, you know, like, but this is a true life example. You know, someone said like, why are you making a movie about Colombia that's not about drugs and violence? Like, that would actually sell. And it's like, well, that's exactly the point that I'm trying to prove with this movie is that there's more to Colombia besides just drugs and violence. And I'm referring to my second uh, feature film called A Bogota Trip. But there's other examples of that. And, you know, you, you have to be kind of steadfast in certain parts and know, like, what you're trying to achieve. And... You know, there's a lot of stuff that the actors brought to the table that was unexpected for me and it elevated it, right? There's a lot of other aspects from a musical perspective, from from a location perspective, from, you know, an editing perspective, from a sound design perspective that were all brought to the table that enhanced the movie that was not necessarily what I envisioned, but it elevated it because... It was in service of what the overall idea was. And that works great. And, you know, in this day and age, there's, there's an audience out there. You know, large or small, there's an audience out there. And, and so you gotta, you gotta try to keep that audience in mind. You know, for James Cameron, the reason why he pushed back against that decision was not a self-serving decision. He knew the audience he was creating this for, and he felt in his heart of hearts like this was what the magic was all about. This is why he set out to make the movie, and he was proven correct. You know, there's a certain contingency of people that, you know, they felt so bad after watching Avatar because they realized they couldn't live in Pandora and in this beautiful, like, world. Now, the irony is, I think there's plenty of very gorgeous parts of our world that we just don't appreciate. And so, you know, one could essentially take those people and put them in Pandora and, you know, some would see the beauty, others would literally be blind to it. Um, But that's a digression. Uh, But regardless, the, the idea is that James Cameron knew the audience he wanted to make this for and what would resonate with them. 
And for better or worse, with my stuff, I know who I'm trying to reach and how that stuff will resonate with them once they, whether it's a book, like they read it, if it's a movie, when they watch it, things of that nature. And I try to get that across. And so if it's not in service of that, if it takes it away from that, then no, I'm not going to fight against that. But at all at the same time, I'm trying to make it the best possible. You, you know, uh, one of my big principles with any storytelling that I do is maximum f- effect in a shortest amount of time. You know, I don't want to be overindulgent if I'm writing a novel with just like being overly descriptive if it's not in service of the narrative. Same thing with a movie. You know, if if we're hanging on something and, and like luxuriating in it, it's because I want to tell and convey something. It's in service of something rather than like, oh, I'm going to do it longer because I can't. Right? So... That's always sort of in, in my mind, and, and you know, I'm not saying I am James Cameron, but it's, it's always good to be able to look at examples of people we admire and, and recognize ourselves within them. You know, another person that uh, I'm getting to learn more about is Sofia Coppola and the way she makes her movies. And it's, in a way, similar to how I make my movies where, you know, in fact, uh, you know, one of the actors on one of her movies described the process like, she essentially lets you know what headspace you're in, you know, what happened beforehand and what headspace you're in, and then it just kind of lets you go with it. And that's quite literally how I try to do it. You know, and for me, my background's in documentary, and so I give the actors very a, a great amount of range to essentially go anywhere within the scene, like physically, right? Like if it's a, if we're in like a room like this, they could literally go anywhere, and you know, I'm not concerned with the blocking too much because that's my my job is to capture them and allow them freedom to move about the scene as they see fit within that moment and to be able to really personify the character that they're playing as opposed to be restricted in any artificial way because of, you know, camera and other such nuances. You know, that's not interesting to me. So if there is a greater lesson, it's continue to observe and study various people in your field and out of your field too, quite frankly, and, and and learn the lessons, apply them to your life that that you know you want that would benefit you, right? Find solidarity in their path, if nothing else. A big component of last week was. Uh, the Financially Fit Foundation. So I'm a board member on this nonprofit organization and our aim is to teach financial literacy to, to people in general, right? 
uh, and we do we we give free workshops. Um, you know, the foundation's been around for quite a number of years. I've only joined it for a little bit over a year, and it's been you know now we're sort of really ramping up and training uh, other volunteers and. You know, so that way we can give more workshops and just continue to grow the organization. And really the goal of growing the organization is to maximize our our reach so we can help various people. So that's been um that's been really fun to be a part of. And you know, a lot of the lessons like I think seldom is there a nonprofit that equally benefits others as it does you. Like the more I know about finances, the more I can be of benefit to others um, within the Financially Fit Foundation, right? So, you know, it's both self-serving, but the self-serving aspect of it becomes selfless because I'm able to share that information, right? And the you know the way we teach our principles and the methodology, um, we, we call it the save system. It very much is a system, and, and when you work that system, it helps. And and you know one of my big things for all artists, I mean everyone in general, but but, but artists especially, you know, um, there there seems to be this limiting belief among us that, uh, that, you know, we don't have enough money to make the things that we want uh, or that as artists, we're not good with math. So we don't really need to worry about our finances and that we have so little of it anyway, that who cares? And then when, you know, we hit big, we'll have so much of it that we'll just pay somebody to manage it. Right. And the thing is, no one should like you really need to be in charge of your money and the foundation showcases why that that is and really the principles have allowed me creative freedom right by by having financial independence as we all aim towards it allows us to do the creative stuff that we want and not be encumbered by stress now am i financially free and stuff like that no but but I'm certainly financially healthy and, you know, uh, certainly way more than most. And the irony is like, you know, even people that you would think are well off, actually like Beverly Hills is the number five city in the U.S. with the most credit card debt. (laughs) It's not a good stat. So... You know, I think, and that's a big part of it too, is making sure that how you spend your money is in alignment with your values and not your ego. Um, Now, as you hear me talk about it, you know, there is a book um, called Save Yourself that is available through Amazon. Um, I have a link to down below. And, you know, you can check that out. uh, That one you have to purchase, but but a very good book and... uh, you know, really sets you up for, you know, being being good with your finances. So, um, 
you know, a lot of work's been going into that, and um, I'm very proud of that work. This past weekend, there was a uh, Saturday in particular was quite quite hectic. There was a lot of stuff going on Saturday. So my second feature film, a Bogota trip, was part of the LA Liftoff Festival, and as part of this festival. Um, they did a networking event as well as a showcase event. So essentially it was like an all-day affair where in the morning the people that were part of the festival got to essentially introduce themselves and then we played a one-minute clip. It could be a sizzle reel. It could be a proof of concept. It could be a um, trailer, anything. Right, And then once everyone went, we essentially did like speed dating to get to know each other. Um, And then we all got to hang out afterwards and kind of talk further with the people that we wanted to. Um, And this is like literally one part of it. Then throughout the day, like I said, there was um, screenings of short films that had one in years prior. There was, yeah, just just a a hodgepodge of activity. And it was really good because out of all the festivals that I went to so far, this really made a conscious effort to unite people and get people networking, right? Like a lot of these other festivals will have, you know, an opening ceremony, a closing ceremony, and, you know, you kind of mingle and mix and so forth but there was just a more conscientious effort behind this and because of it I think it had a greater success and I've made a lot of new friends you know where it goes I don't know but if nothing else I was certainly inspired by a number of people uh, you know and it also really kind of highlights what a small world it is because um, I you know, I was meeting people, and as they asked me, like, you know, which one was your project? Can you remind me? And I was like, you know, the feature film that was uh, shot in Colombia. And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And a couple of them were like, you know, it's funny. I have a sound designer in Colombia. And I was like, oh, no way. My sound designer, like, that's the whole reason why we filmed in Colombia is because I know somebody in uh, there, and, you know, he's a sound designer. And him and his wife, and they're... And I got to know that Edgar, uh, my sound designer, um, you know, they also were working with him. And when we traced the sort of the lineage, it was like, you know, for me, because I had recommended Edgar to two of my friends when we worked on, you know, these proof of concepts. And then they used him for uh, other projects. And then, you know, they recommended him to other people. And it was just like this web. And it was, it was amazing to have that sense that, you know, so and I kind of got to know uh, and recommended, like, it's it almost spread like wildfire that, you know, everyone's using good old Edgar, um, which is great. That's fantastic. That's that's really what you want. And, um, I mean, that's what true networking is all about, is finding people that are amazing at what they do. And, you know, I wish, like, with all my collaborators, right, that, you know, essentially, like, we would always work together nonstop, but, you know, it doesn't, always work out that way. I mean, certainly even 
you know, like a Christopher Nolan who makes movies essentially full time, he doesn't always get to work with the same DP because, you know, uh, they shoot the movie and then he goes and edits it and then he has to write a new one. And by the time, you know, the filming of his next movie comes around, the schedules might not align, right? Um, but even if they did, let's say they did, right? There's still enough of the downtime of editing a project and the writing the next one, development and so forth, that it'll be time before, you know, the DP will be shooting again. And so they have to take a job in, 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 in that way, right? And that's what, that, like, that's what networking is, to, to be able to recommend people and pull from other resources, other recommendations, and just make great stuff, right? I mean, that, that's truly why I love art, because it, it really is collaborative, and, you know, we really do need to find inspiration from each other and, and so forth, right? And I don't even, like, I've, I've said this many times and I'll continue to say it forever. Even something that seems solitary, like writing, where you go off in a little garret and, you know, shut yourself off from the world and just write. It's really not like that, you know? You still have editors and, you know, people who read the, the, the thing to initially, as beta readers, if you want to call them that, that give you feedback, right? And you make those adjustments accordingly. So, you know, we all need to, these people within our lives. And that's why this event was very special. I got to know an incredible amount of people. And again, some people, you know, who knows? I might never see again, just except through social media, but just even that interaction, I think, just helped fuel my fire, certainly, and hopefully theirs, um, to keep going and, and so forth, right? Um, and also just seeing various work showcased there. Um, there was two projects in particular, Last Words and Little Berlin. Last Words was this project where this woman gets a phone call from essentially an employee of death telling her like, hey, um, you're about to die, and but before you do, uh, I need to ask you a series of questions uh, of a questionnaire. And essentially like, you know, how satisfied with where you're with life and stuff like that. Um, and it was just so brilliant. Uh, and it made, it made you think, and yeah, it was just, just awesome. So well done. And then Little Berlin is this like, is a story, I don't even know how to exactly describe it. It's narrated by Christoph Waltz, a famous actor, um, you know, from Inglorious Bastards and Horrible Bosses too, and other such projects. But, so he narrates it, and so it plays off as this documentary about a bull named Peter in this, like, small town in Germany that essentially recounts from World War II all the way to present day where, like, he gets separated from his cows and then he's the only bull or you know there and there's a wall between him and his cows representing the berlin wall and you know democracy and communism and you know it just really kind of makes it it, it just tells this story in a new perspective and a funny perspective and really showcases some of the absurdities of humanity and how we just continue to divide ourselves when we shouldn't. Um, really, really well done. 
Um, I'm not sure where you can see these, unfortunately, but you know, they're, A, they're short films, um, and so those don't tend to like be distributed in the same way as, as feature films. Um, but yeah, if you just have a chance to ever see these, like they're, they're brilliant. And, and, and again, like just seeing something out of the box, um, you know, something that I never would have even thought to make, um, and not saying that I, I now will, you know, that's not the goal, but it's, it's always just great to like recognize talent and applaud it, you know, and just know that people are out there doing amazing stuff, you know? Another very inspiring thing that, that same day, right? There was a lot of stuff going on that day, but um, the, the closer was essentially uh, my friend Bateman. I know him primarily as a host. You know, he's worked with me over at Popcorn Talk. Um, you know, he did a show called Action Movie Guys, and he still does. Um, and a number of other shows as well. I mean, prolific, prolific um, host. But he always had a passion for music. And, you know, when the pandemic hit, he kind of got back into it. And this summer, he did a tour across the U.S. And yesterday was the end of the tour, and it was the last tour date here in LA. And I had not been able to see him in the other cities, even though I, I would have liked to, but it was great to, to be there. And you know, he was just phenomenal, um, great group, um, a lot of goodwill. And yeah, it, it also speaks to the other thing, like, you know, um, listen, one day maybe like Ben Bateman and I will collaborate where he'll have a song in one of my movies, or who knows? I don't know. You know, certainly, I, I think as far as hosting goes, I, that too, like where, you know, I certainly was his producer back in the day, and maybe we'll return to that in some capacity in the future. Like, we just never know how these things go. But even without that, like, we don't have to look at everyone as a utility for something. Like, it just... It feeds my soul that, you know, I got to see him. And certainly I know it fed his soul to see all those people out there supporting him. A, because he said it and you could just see it. And I also know from personal experience, like, you know, when we did the premiere for our movie, A Bogota Trip, like we had a packed house and it feels really good, right? To know that people care and they showed up. And we got to do that for each other more and more. Like, let's, there's something to it. And we just don't appreciate that enough. We, we think it somehow detracts from us. Um, just time-wise of like, oh, I can't afford to, whatever. Like, no, support your friends. They'll come back to you. Or it won't, but who cares? It'll be, like, just in and of itself, it's a good thing. So... And that was a lot of fun. The other thing that I've been working towards last week is just um, with a Bogota trip, as we like finalize, finalize everything, now it's all about getting a QC report. So when you finish a movie, you know, as you deliver it to places, you need someone to essentially verify that it checks out. And not, 
you know, this isn't like a rating of like, is it PG-13, is it R, whatever. Um, although that certainly can be a part of it. This aspect of it is from a purely like technical standpoint. Are there any glitches in the video? Are there any glitches in the audio? If so, what are they? Um, go fix them, right? Uh, so there's many aspects to a lot of art that we just don't consider or like credit people with. Like going back to Ben Bateman, you know, he put on this tour literally himself. So he found the venues, he promoted each venue, he went to each venue, you know, he's the one booking himself tickets, uh, you know, as far as flights, hotels, and so forth, and that's a lot of work. And not only that, you know, like, let's talk, like, the promotion side of it, you know, I know firsthand, you're sending out, like, 200 texts to everybody and having to send out reminders and so forth just to get, like, you know, a couple people out. You know, for, like, every 200 texts you send, <laughs> you might get, like, 10, 15 people or something like that. Who knows? But it's a lot of effort, and so I applaud him for that. And, yeah, the, the, there's just a lot that goes into it that we don't appreciate enough, you know? And, and, like, I know with Ben, same as I try to do, like, you know, he invited me to his show through a personalized text. And, I knew, you know, um, I'm sure there was a copy and paste element of it as well. Um, but at the same time, like, there was, you know, there was certainly enough thought and care crafted to make sure that, you know, when I read the text that I knew it was meant for me. And that entices you more to be like, okay, cool, I want to go. And that's the aspect of just art that we don't recognize within others, right? It's that sort of iceberg effect. We just see like the glitz and the glam, but we don't see the QC reports. We don't see all the, all the you know, text messages. We don't see all the, you know, um, the week before I was talking about doing my own subtitles for the, for the movie. Um, all this stuff, you know, a lot of work goes into it. A lot of like, you know, so much beneath the surface, you know, of what really is this iceberg, right? And that's why within ourselves, we really can't get discouraged. Like slow and steady progress, there's always going to be setback, setbacks. There's never going to be a perfect, smooth road. You know, nothing ever in life really, truly aligns uh, to be perfect. And so you got to just kind of juggle all those balls as they may. You'll drop a few every now and then, but that's okay. Just have that grace with yourself that, that it's all part of it. And, you know, anything's ultimately fixable. Just keep going. It'll come, right? That's the beautiful part for me. And, you know, like, I look at, like, with the Bogota trip, you know, there's a lot of festivals that we've gotten rejected from, but there's a lot of festivals that we got in, and, you know, now I can't announce them quite yet, but there's going to be a few festivals that we've got coming up that I know we got accepted into. So that's exciting. And, 
you know, we'll still, there's still plenty of festivals. Like, if anything, I would say, like, we're, like, midway-ish through our festival run. So, you know, there's still, like, in fact, there, there's certain festivals, like, we won't even hear back from until May of 2023. So, you know, there's still a good runway of festivals to be able to play. Um, and, yeah, you know, it's... You just keep going at it and, you know, you take the opportunities that are there available to you and you make the most of them, you know, like the, the LA Liftoff Film Festival has been fantastic, you know, not certainly not like a, a Toronto International Film Festival or a Sundance or a con, but, you know, the people that organize it put a lot of time and effort into it and they made it a great event. And the fact that, you know, I could showcase one minute worth of my stuff and what I did was I essentially trimmed down the Bogota trip trailer to one minute and just you know taking advantage of those opportunities and you know seeing what may come that's the name of the game another aspect that uh, I was a part of last week was revising the 90 second pitch for my upcoming project. So for context, Emerson College, uh, where I went, they do a pitch fest. And so seven alumni and seven students, they each get to pitch uh, for 90 seconds. And yeah, that's basically it, right? And so for me, I had signed up because you know, I, I want to do this project and, you know, I know eventually I'll have to be able to talk about it, um, whether in just like, like even just as a summary to, to film festivals, you know, when it gets made or whatever, like, like this is going to be good in, uh, in so many ways that I, I don't even imagine yet. And certainly one of the ways I do imagine at the moment is it's make me focus on what is the story really about? What is you know, what is my North Star as I sit down to write this? And how do I communicate that within essentially less than 200 words? And so it's been a really, really fun process to, you know, get feedback from my collaborators, take a stab at it, you know, and then be like, okay, you know, what works here, and then, okay, cool, well, what if we tried this version, okay, I like elements of this, but I really like this, so let's combine that, okay, cool, that's better, but it's still missing this, and let's strengthen this, let's take out that, it's just, it's just an ongoing process, it's really fun and crazy in that way, so, yeah, it's, it's been a lot of fun to do that, um, and also, you know, as, as part of all of this, kind of what's been, what I've really put a lot of thought into to make sure I do every day, like I'm making it a priority, um, is creating a gratitude journal. So even on days where, you know, things get messed up and whatever, at the end of the day, I just write down, you know, all the things that I'm grateful for. And it could be beyond just the day, but generally the day. And then it just becomes, I don't know, it, it, it's been very hard to like be pissed off, miserable, whatever. And it, 
in many ways, it's not like, I mean, you know, yes, this past week in particular has been out of the ordinary for me um, in terms of the, the things that I've been doing. But at the same time, you know, it's not like anything major like has happened. It's not like I signed a million dollar deal or X, Y, and Z. Like I'm still doing QC reports, um, you know, putting in a lot of work and, you know, effort into various things. And, you know, I didn't hide, like there's plenty of stuff that had to get switched up around and so forth and came in last minute and, you know, this and that. And, But it comes and goes, and it's like, okay, cool. You deal with it, you move on type of thing. And so, yeah, I, I'm i just going to continue, you know, even, even just like literally three minutes, just at the end of the day, just putting stuff that's meaningful to me into this journal and and going for it. And... When I talk about like this this gratitude journal, you know, I, I've been able to find a lot of meaning um, within doing a gratitude journal. And one of the things I recognized in like the past few days is my ability to kind of hone in on something and extract meaning from it. This is a bit of a tangent, but um, you know, go with me on this. So. I, I watched the Netflix Bling Ring documentary. Um, the real Bling Ring Hollywood heist is, I think, the official like title. And I essentially, how I, how I got on this journey was I had five minutes of downtime, and you know I just opened up Netflix, thinking maybe I'll just watch a little bit of like Arrested Development just to pass that time. And I see you know number two trending, uh, uh, the Bling Ring. I was like, okay, well, all right, well, what's this all about? I'll just check it out and never watch it. And then I just got hooked, right? The side to me that I know is um, there's oftentimes like I'll consume works of art, whether it's books, movies, TV shows, whatever. And, you know, some of it might just be uninspiring. Some of it might just be average. And then there's stuff that like when it stands out to me, I become obsessed, (laughs) you know, whether it's like, like the the Matrix for me growing up was a prime example. Like that trilogy was so formative. Like I was I, I was so diehard. Um, you know, I just be, I just get an obsessive personality, and it's like it, it's part of like why I'm able to make the art that I do is because like when I fixate on like doing a project, I'll carry it through it it through to its better end no matter what. Um, and in this regard. You know, I watched the Bling Ring. It's they're about an hour each in terms of three episodes, right? So limited series, three episodes, about an hour each, chronicling this group of teenagers from 2008, 2009, where they robbed celebrity houses like Paris Hilton, uh, Lindsay Lohan, Orlando Bloom, and so forth. And what's interesting about this one is. Essentially, they have two of the teenagers, quote-unquote. They're now adults, but you know they were teenagers back then. And they're essentially telling their side of the story. 
And watching this documentary, it's just unhinged. <laughs> the best way I can describe it, like that is, that is the word I can use to describe this documentary. It is unhinged. Now, many people are quick to point out how like heinous it is that essentially you're allowing criminals because they, you know, uh, pled no guilty to these burglaries uh, that essentially were glamorizing these uh, people who were criminals. But, but there's so much more to it than that because everyone involved in the documentary is unhinged and equally as culpable. Now, you know, did they rob and stuff like that? No. But, and what I mean by this is, you know, you have people from the tabloids talking about that side of it and how, you know, sensational it got. And it's like, well, the reason why it even happened was because they sensationalized celebrity lifestyles and these kids want to be part of that. that. That's like what got fed into us and certainly into them in a very hardcore way. Uh, you had the reality TV producers for Alexis Nyer's show, Alexis being one of the um, members of the Bling Ring, who were like talking about straight up that when the arrest was made, like now they knew they had a show and they talked about fabricating certain events for the sake of the reality show. And then you had the lawyers who quite openly pretty much admit, I mean, literally they admit that they wanted to be famous. And they did certain things like that were compromising in that way. The lead detective, he compromised everything because he himself was a consultant to Sofia Coppola's bling ring movie and therefore like you know this was like still an ongoing investigation and therefore in a court of law it jeopardized you know in terms of bring convictions to some of the people it's insane and you know for all it's worth you know everyone pled no guilty but you know and they were charged with stuff, but but really, like, no one carried out that drastic of sentences. Or at least, that's certainly the way it seems, right? Like, that is, a, you can look that as a big takeaway. You know, the, the, the way within the movie that they, they were essentially doing this, like, counter of, you know, how much jail time, you know, each of the crimes was. And obviously, the, the, not everyone was involved in all the crimes. But at one point, it was like, pretty much like 50 years worth of, you know, jail time should have been <laughs> sentenced. And, you know, like as I, like the main person, Rachel Lee, ended up doing about two years overall. And it's like, so, and like in, in, in that sort of grand scheme of things, there were no consequences. And like these are, White kids, essentially, with the exception of Rachel. And you could see, like, if it was, if it was a group of, like, black teens, they, A, this, they would have been looked at as just heinous criminals instead of having, like, a Netflix documentary and being able to tell their side of the story. I mean, hell, they might not even be alive, right? Like, I mean, that's just the reality of 
America that we live in. And so I just look at it completely unhinged in this way. And much like sort of Gabor Mate talks about how disease is a process, doesn't, you don't have cancer. Like, that cancer developed itself, but it's not a part of you. Um, I mean, there's a lot more to it than that, but, you know, uh, I, I'm doing it kind of just a very bare bones injustice of that, you know. But for me, I, I like to look at, like, like how, we, how we essentially got to that point, Right? And certainly, the feti- like as a culture, fetishizing just celebrity culture and not even talent, just like you know influences and so forth, and like it, the fact that it's culminated to having a reality star president, um, like that's a natural. It just continues to be an extension of like that side of it, right? And when I think about it too, like we don't glamorize good behavior, like the, the steadfast person who just, you know, okay, portrays good morals, you know, yes, they might find success in life, it's not really about that, but, but it's not the thing that gets attention, and really, we live in an attention economy, and, and, and you know, we, like, again, these are the people that have a Netflix documentary, right? And I'm not like, that's the other side of it. Like, you know, it, it doesn't really talk about their rehabilitation, you know, in the end. Um, that's part of, like, you know, a lot of the reaction seems to be, like, that they don't have remorse for what they stuffed now, that, that they did. Now, again, they're adults now. This is years removed. So they could have gotten through it, and, you know, it could be in some ways, you know, a testament to the rehabilitation process. Like, ultimately, that's what you would want a criminal justice system to be, is to to take people and be like, okay, you know, you did something bad. You're going to, the time that you serve is meant to make you reflect and get you to change to be a good person that is valuable to society, quote unquote, right? But that aspect of it, wasn't really discussed. I mean, if not at all, really. Um, and certainly, the people there didn't seem to have remorse. So it's like we're, in, in a weird way, we're just teaching all these lessons of just that we shouldn't be learning. And it's cyclical because that's the lessons that essentially they were taught, you know, when they were consuming the media that they consumed. And it's just been fascinating to me. Like, I, 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 I would love to examine this and just hold up a mirror. Like, this to me is the true L.A. story. You know, film noir is an amazing genre, and I love it. And certainly when it comes to L.A., Chinatown and L.A. Confidential are, like, two fantastic movies. Uh, Sunset Boulevard. Like, you know, L.A. has and Hollywood has been, like, that, that gritty... Uh, side of it has been captured really well. And yet, this is like, this aspect of it, as I see it, is, this This is like the L.A. story. You know, the chasing of fame and glory and, you know, stealing and so forth. And like, even even the victims themselves, the celebrities, like, the reason why this was able to be pulled off, and I'm not, I'm not victim blaming, but there's a side to me where 
you just go of like, you, you thought you were better um, and then it couldn't happen to you, right? Uh, where essentially like they left their doors unlocked. That's how these people got in. Just the doors were unlocked. And so, yeah, I, I just want to kind of exam and hold up a mirror to this and, and because like if I was a Gen Z person or like just a young kid in general today, you know, what, whether like I look at WeWork, um, Elizabeth Holmes, uh, Donald Trump, January 6th, these kids and so forth, Firefest. It's like nothing A has meaning and B, there's no consequences to any of it. Not really. At least it's not like short. The consequences could be there, but, but that side of it is never really highlighted, at least from the media perspective, right? And so what I would love to do one day, and by the way, listen, this is an idea. You are welcome to steal it if you want. You know, I, I, I would just love to see this. Um, certainly I could ex- execute it in a different, you know, e- even if like two people have the same outline, the way they execute it um, could lead to two completely different things. I mean, certainly there's two bling ring movies and they're vastly different. <laughs> you know, um, there's the Sofia Coppola one and then there's um, the one that stars Austin Butler, which was made in 2011 by Lifetime, I think. I haven't seen that one actually. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, they're talked about as being completely different, right? Because of the, and yet based on the same story. But anyway, I digress. The, the point being that I would love to examine this aspect and sort of hold up a mirror to real society and the attention economy where you have young kids that are observing life in this way. And yeah, the natural conclusion being nothing matters and there's no consequences. And what do they do with this? like with this information and the the fact that they find inspiration from the original bling ring crew because while they were caught, you know, they were kids, right? So it essentially shows like all the other stuff is like successful people getting away with just heinous crimes right in front of our eyes and not really, you know, uh, but this was like the kids and you know, them really going about it of like, okay, well, what, what's the lessons we can learn here where we don't get caught? And then, you know, they, they just kind of keep escalating because they don't get caught. And at a certain point, like they test the waters to try to get caught and yet they don't. And um, it would just be very interesting to me in that way. And, and, and tie in like the media aspect of it and so forth. So it's not just about the kids because especially like about Sofia Coppola's The Bling Ring. They're just really caricatures. Like there's no character depth to them. And and not that I, you know, my goal is to like empathize with anyone, but it it really, as I saw with The Bling Ring documentary, everyone was just unhinged. And it's like, who's, who's patient zero? Where's the nexus point for all of this? And I want to show kind of like the, the logical conclusion of that and really make people reflect and like that would be my idea and um yeah that would that would be a lot of fun and 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 so that's kind of what I've been thinking about and why I'm I'm very grateful you know this whole reason why how I like got into this was 
I'm grateful that I have this ability to look at something in a different way and and find some sort of meaning, at least for myself. And I, I think if done right, you know, it could resonate with people. I mean, Sofia Coppola, her movie, you know, I don't love it, but it actually does resonate with a lot of people, right? So, And that's because she had a certain point of view and she knew what that point of view was and the story that she was going to tell. Which ties back to the James Cameron quote that I opened up um, my blog with of, you know, uh, I feel my, that my job is to protect their investment often against their own judgment. But as long as I protect their investment, all is forgiven, right? Um, so it, it all kind of oddly comes full circle in that way. And yeah, I just kind of, want to expose the truth of it all because I think too many people we're all very quick to point a finger and identify the wrongdoings of other people, but we don't really reflect upon that ourselves. And that's something that I'm interested in. And in a way, like for me, the journey has been, if I can see that within society, I can try to understand it better and see it within myself. Um, that's been kind of at least my approach to it all, right? And yeah, I think, you know, in general, I try to just have a different way of looking at certain things. Um, you know, odd as it may be. I mean, I remember driving with a friend and there, you know, there's a, there's, there's a hospital that was being built for a number of years. And it's almost complete. It's not complete, but it's almost complete. And it just made me think of like, huh, another hospital. I'm sure it's needed. But what would, like, it just came to me. Like, what would society be if we stopped valuing, you know, hospitals and, and, and like, the idea that we just have to cure people once they have disease? What if we focused on prevention? Like, instead of building a hospital, what if we built more parks and found ways to engage with people so that way people wouldn't have disease? And that's not to say that hospitals are not needed, that they're irrelevant, whatever. They're very much needed. And, but I don't know. It just, again, I I, I, I like to think of things and examine them from a different perspective and ask these oddball questions. And I don't know if I come to the best conclusions if ever. But like with the bling ring, it just allows me to consider things and and, and find certain meaning within all of it. Because if I'm just watching this documentary, you know, and I like my only response is like, wow, they're on the hinge and whoa, that was like overload. Then what was the point, right? And, And, you know, certainly whether intentional or not, well, I know there's intention from the filmmakers to make a point. Now, it's up to me to figure out what that is. And certainly, I'll draw my own conclusions that weren't intended. Or were, you know, or anything therein. But that's, that's the value of art. Um, and that's what makes it beautiful. So... That's why I pursue it. And that's why it's important to 
for, for art to exist and for every artist to make stuff, but in order to make that, to also consume and have those moments of reflection so that way art can be infused with meaning. Which brings me to my final thing. Um, I'm overall going to take a step back from posting various episodes um, because it does take a lot of effort and um, I really want to kind of focus on there's, there's, there's three really big projects essentially that I'm going to be working on. A short proof of concept. Well, it's not a proof of concept. It's a short film that I want to put up as an NFT. And so, you know, we have most of it shot, but now I want to edit it and really give it the time and attention that it deserves. I want to focus on my second novel and get, and get that at least a draft out before the end of the year. And then I'm working on, as I said, this trilogy. I want to continue to develop that and, and make good headway. So, you know, I'll post some stuff in, you know, in between here, here and there um, before the end of the year. Certainly, like, this isn't, like, a full goodbye in that sense. Uh, but, you know, it will be a little bit quieter in terms of activity. Because even beyond just these three projects, like, there's other stuff eating my time, like, you know, the QC reports for the movie. I know I'm going to be uh, having to participate in, you know, future film festivals, and that is, it's fun, but it, it does take time. And so, you know, I'll, I'll try to bring you along the journey through social media in that way. Um, but the lessons, you know, might be a little bit few and far between. So, um you know, but the, the the good news is there's like literally over over 1500 <laughs> episodes at this point on my YouTube channel um you know on the podcast if that's how you're listening to it you know and certainly on social media I post just a ton of stuff with takeaways so you know there still be value added um for you in various other forms beyond just like you know this episode where I talk right Anyway, uh, as always, appreciate you. I know there's a lot to unpack in that, but I think hopefully, you know, I tied it in some sort of bow. Maybe not the prettiest bow, but at least some sort of bow. Um, thank you so much. I do appreciate you. If you want to support my efforts, you know, I've linked to all the stuff that is available to you, you know, my books, my movies, and stuff like that to purchase. Supporting that stuff helps support me because, you know, it gets to be self-sufficient, and then I get to make more of it, and learn uh learn lessons and give the the experience of what i learned here freely for you so it benefits you also there is the patreon page um that's a way to uh, interact with me directly if you think it might be of service or you know you want to dive head first in uh I, my coaching is available to you because all that is linked to down below anyway thank you so much i truly do appreciate you i hope to see you next time